Hello, my name is Thomas. Welcome to British Culture. Albion never dies. This is, of course, the usual place to find me. Though last week I was in a few other places as well. You may have seen me on the YouTube channel The Bond Experience, uh, being interviewed by David Zorinsky of The Bond Experience in his video Queen Elizabeth II and James Bond on Their Majesty's Secret Service, King, Queen and Bond. Thank you very much to everyone who gave such lovely, lovely comments to that, uh, particularly, for example, to Drinks, Beard and Bond, an Instagram account I know, and he's commented here on YouTube saying, Great video, and once again explained very informatively and entertainingly by Thomas. I became a fan of the podcast, so if you're listening, Drinks, Beard and Bond, thank you very, very much. The author Simon Firth also commented, thank you. He said, even as a Brit, that was certainly entertaining, but more importantly... Also very informative and eyebrow-raising. Beautifully delivered by the only person I could imagine talking about such subject matters, he or the chocolate voice. Well, thank you very much. I hope you are enjoying my chocolatey voice right now. Thank you. And uh, one more from James Philipson, who said, This Thomas gentleman turns up looking good in a suit, smart haircut, speaking well with a good bass tone to his voice, some sharp features similar to Dalton's, has real-life experience in the Navy, and a familial military history. Can we just stop the search for the new Bond now? James Philipson, thank you very, very much. I don't think there could be a, a higher form of praise, especially on uh, the Bond experience video. So thank you very much. Well, what can I say? If, if Eon is out there and listening... I think I have a spot in my schedule for this. <laughs> Pretty sure I do. So, that was wonderful. As I say, David Zerinsky is a wonderful, wonderful host. And it was such a pleasure to respond to so many comments. I responded to as many as I, I felt able to in those comments. Um, so thank you to everyone who left such lovely comments. And then I also appeared on From Taylors With Love. This is a podcast I really really like and it's something that actually drew me into this kind of bond community this online bond community so it was wonderful for me to appear as a guest again and that episode was entitled the fourth protocol bond in waiting it's number 168 on his podcast you can access it uh, on well same place you find this and you can also find him on his his blog from taylor to love so i appeared as a guest along with matt spacer a co-author with the host pete brooker of the book from taylor's of love and with z uh from instagram's tie another day or is it zed i'm not sure okay we had a really good discussion about what i'd say is a very rainy day film it's a, a rainy day outside you don't feel like going out I'll just cosy up and watch this 1987 spy thriller, very, very Cold War spy thriller, starring Michael Caine as the good guy, and then has the chilling Russian villain Pierce Brosnan, who does a fantastic performance. Of course, he had been expecting to star in The Living Daylights. He got pulled out of that due to TV contracts with Remington Steele, but he appeared in this instead. So the same year you have The Living Daylights in cinemas, you have The Fourth Protocol, it's a pretty decent film, one I have seen a few times, decent, but doesn't really reach the heights of the book. So for this episode, I thought I'd talk about a very British author, Frederick Forsyth, the author of the novel The Fourth Protocol, which Michael Caine loved so much, um, he wanted to turn it into a film, and as I say, the result was that 1987 movie. So Frederick Forsyth, he's, he was born August 25th, 1938, he's of course currently, if you do the math, 
maths. He is currently 84. And born in Ashford in England. Uh, his autobiography came out fairly recently, The Outsider, My Life in Intrigue. I say recently, recent compared to any of his novels, and recent, of course, compared to 1938 when he was born. I just give an overview and a, and a comment on, on, on his life, and I hope if you haven't come across him, I hope this may lead you to try one of his books again if you haven't already. If you have read his books, well, I hope there's something here that you find interesting. But I really do like him. I'm a big fan of the Ian Fleming, uh, James Bond novels, and often when I've tried the continuation novels, to be honest, I haven't gotten into them, really. Um, I've finished some. <laughs> I haven't finished all that I've tried to start. Uh, I have had a few recommended to me recently, after I commented publicly, um, so I've got a couple more that I'm going to try. Um, but for the most part, I found them disappointing. I thought the films are a better continuation. To be honest, I think some of the video games are a better continuation of those stories. But of course there are other writers who haven't touched the Bond franchise but fit into what you might consider a similar category. Of course there's John le Carre, who writes outstanding spy novels. Very thinky. They go deep inside the internal thought process of the characters. Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, is probably his best known, part of his series about Smiley. But of course that's partly well known, um, not just due to its phenomenal success when it came out, but also, also because there have been so many excellent adaptations. And I have gone through them, uh, whether it was the, the recent film with Gary Oldman, or the old TV show with Alec Guinness, there have been radio versions, and the theatrical productions of many of his books, they are very, very, very good. But to be honest, I enjoy him more in adaptation. I think his adaptations are really successful. Um, Frederick Forsyth's adaptations haven't always been so. And of course, there's, there's Len Dayton, a uh, solid uh, writer of thrillers. But for me, if you enjoyed Fleming, I would say the next person to read is probably not a Bond continuation novel, probably not John le Carre, and to be honest, probably not Len Dayton. My taste uh, as a Fleming fan rarely runs to Frederick Forsyth. He spent his national service as a jet pilot flying a de Havilland vampire. Uh, the vampire was the second RAF jet fighter. And of course, having been a jet fighter pilot, it gave him a lifelong interest in the RAF and, and would ultimately write a non-fiction work, Great Flying Stories, in 1991. But his early career, after his national service, was spent covering French affairs and uh, covering those 30 publicly known attempted assassinations of President Charles de Gaulle. Now, of course, anyone who knows uh, Forsyth's most famous work won't be too surprised that his early work was journalism in France covering this, because, of course, his most famous work is The Day of the Jackal. Um, it's about a contract killer hired by the OAS to kill de Gaulle. The organisation Army uh, Secrete, uh, the secret armed organisation, was a French dissident paramilitary organisation during the Algerian War. The OAS carried out terrorist attacks, uh, mainly in France, including bombings and assassinations, in an attempt to prevent the French government's withdrawal from their former colony. The motto of the OAS was, Algeria is French and will remain so. Worth remembering, of course, because it's a very different time, um, there was a large European population of about 1.6 million people in Algeria, as roughly 15% of the total population in 1962, the year after the referendum for independence that would lead uh, to the formation 
of the OAS. Uh, there could be a whole podcast on this, but then this is about British culture, not French. But I might note it's a very, very different experience looking at the the dissolution of the French Empire and the dissolution of the British Empire. France, of course, was coping with the trauma of having been occupied during the Second World War and was saw this need to restore their world, world standing. So it's a very, very different I say, psychological process and, of course, a very different political process and therefore a very different process overall and experience uh, for both populations. The UK, of course, having proven victorious and, I can't resist saying it, having won the World Cup against West Germany in 1966, we saw fit to remember Churchill's adage. In war, resolution. In defeat, defiance. In victory, magnanimity. In peace, goodwill. As I say, very, very different experience between France and Britain as we let go of our empires. But this is what Forsyth rarely covered, that internal struggle. And it's very evident whether you read the book or watch the movie, The Day of the Jackal, you see the research, you see the deep understanding of the culture. But of course, Forsyth then moved on in the late 60s, covering the Nigerian civil war between then the province of Biafra, which unilaterally declared independence in 1967, and Nigeria. Forsyth was initially a BBC correspondent. He worked there for six months in 1967 as the war began, but the BBC decided they didn't want to cover this any further. So, he resigned from the BBC and worked in uh, Biafra, Nigeria, for most of the next two years. And so his first book, Biafra Story, uh, was published in 1969. Now, in August 2015, long, long after these events, Forsyth revealed that in Biafra he was an informant for MI6, a relationship that continued for 20 years. According to Forsyth, he was not paid, he said this was a Cold War conflict, and he commented that it was just a very, very different time uh, back then. With the success of his first book, and something which, I said Biafra seems almost forgotten now, but it is an interesting one, because, of course, so many countries have broken away from European empires, um, mostly following the borders that had been drawn up by them, and then many of the smaller states tried to break away again and it's very very rare to find a successful example of people successfully gaining independence from those who had gained independence i think bangladesh um which had formerly been part of part of pakistan and then broke away is one of the very few examples of a country really successfully uh, breaking away anyway back to forsyth forsyth uh, decided to write a novel using the same or similar research techniques to those he'd used in journalism. So again, first full-length novel, Day of the Jackal, published in 1971. Uh, the movie uh, came out a couple of years later, in 1973, starring a very, very stylish Edward Fox. For those listeners who come to my podcast through kind of the James Bond fandom, I have to say I'd always seen this film as an example of what, say, James Bond could have been in the 70s if it had gone from something, say, darker and grittier as it is in the late 1980s with Timothy Dalton. I think Edward Fox would have been a phenomenal Bond if that had been, say, the spirit of the time. I really don't think it was the spirit of the time. <laughs> I think this is a, a standout uh, film, and I think the Bond franchise was going into, I don't know, good old-fashioned family entertainment, which I really, really enjoy, so I think Roger Moore's king of that. Uh, but as I say, if they'd wanted that different direction, you know, if it'd be in the 50s, I think you could have had Christopher Lee as James Bond. If it'd be in the 70s, Edward Fox. If you were going down kind of the Fleming, kind of the harder, harder route. Fleming. But anyway, 
back back to full size. Um, I'm not going to go through his whole list of books. I'm just picking out the ones that I, I just find interesting or particularly memorable. In The Dogs of War, published in 1974, it's all about a British mining executive who hires a group of mercenaries to overthrow the government of an African country so he can install a puppet regime that will allow him cheap access to a colossal platinum ore mine. Um, this book, by the way, was also adapted into a 1980 film uh, starring Christopher, Christopher Walken. But again, it drew very, very heavily on his experience in Biafra, and uh, some some sections do closely match sections uh, of his writing, his, his journalistic writings there. It is set in the fictitious African country of Zangora. But <laughs> ever since the book came out, there have been numerous coups in West Africa, um, and it's been suggested that many of them used this book, The Dogs of War, basically as a blueprint how to organize a coup. One that became closely associated with the book uh, was the one in 2004, the attempted coup in Equatorial Guinea, uh, which was connected uh, with uh, Margaret Thatcher's son, uh, Mark. Mark Thatcher. So, so it, it does have an interplay with real-world politics. And this is actually one of my favorite books as well. Um, despite, despite this influence, I think it is a phenomenal read, and I've read it many, many, many times. Um, again, another one that rarely stays in my mind is uh, Forsyth's 1982 book, No Comebacks. It's a collection of short stories, all on a single theme, Revenge. And several are set in Ireland, where the author was living at the time, and I find they stay in the mind long, long, long after you've read the book. In fact, I'm not sure when I last read the book. It, it's probably over a dozen years ago. Join pilot and adventurer Fernando Pino as he takes you on journeys to discover exciting destinations across the UK and Europe. You'll fly with him to hidden gems and experience local culture, from bustling streets to serene hideaways and the best places to eat, sleep and play. Travel Plans is more than a podcast. It's your ticket to exploring the world and its history with a friend. In this episode, we are flying to discover a beachside paradise perfect for the whole family. Discover golden sands, activities galore, and even free childcare so you get your own break too. <sighs> Why am I still here? Anyway, anyways, a couple I've read more recently is The Afghan, uh, published August 2006, which is kind of an indirect sequel to 1994's The Fist of God, which was set all around um, the Iraq-Kuwait war. Um, the Afghan was set in the, then set in the near future, um, with the threat of a catastrophic assault on the West, discovered on a senior Al-Qaeda member's computer, and it compels the leaders of the US and the UK to attempt a desperate gambit. To substitute a seasoned British operative, retired Colonel Mike Martin, who'd appeared in the Fist of God, for an Afghan Taliban commander being held prisoner at Guantanamo. Bay. It is a very, very good book. It's very much in the classic Forsyth uh, mould. Uses several of the same characters, uh, particularly, of course, Mike Martin. Um, but I, I found it, I guess it's one of the last great ones to focus very much on the British establishment, which was most of his writing. He did attempt a few more US-centric stories uh, with 
American heroes. I don't know if best to say all American heroes. Uh, they tend to be very much from the East Coast and uh, kind of are, I'd say, not too far removed from British culture. Um, the best of those are probably 2010's The Cobra, which is all about the drugs trade, and 2013's The Kill List about counterterrorism and the USA's then ongoing drone warfare. However, this is towards the end of his career. In 2016, he said he was giving up thrilling, sorry, he was giving up writing thrillers. I don't know who he thrills. I think he continues to thrill people, especially readers around the world. Uh, but he gave up writing thrillers because his wife had told him he was too old to travel to dangerous places. And the research is a significant part of what he does. For here, I might pause to switch to some of his writing. Uh, as I said, I, I kind of thought I'd cover this, especially having co uh, appeared on From Taylors with Love. And we were talking about the fourth protocol. And I have the book here with me. I mentioned in From Taylors with Love, uh, there's a funny quirk of Michael Caine's character where he's a kind of quiet, stealthy cat burglar at the beginning. And then we see him engage in some violence on the tube. And. It seemed a little odd, I guess, a character can have both. He can have both sets of skills. But in the books, it's because they're two different people. There is a cat burglar and there is a former military character and they're two very different people. However, you know, movies need to be simplified. The books are so interesting because they show the process, which may be why they're so difficult uh, to adapt. Right, I shall start off with the cat burglar. This is the section I really want to read out. And... It's no spoilers, it's from the first chapter. As was necessary, he had to have a front occupation to account for the money. All the successful faces had some form of legitimate business. The favoured ones have always been minicab driving, or owning greengrocer shops, or a scrap metal and general dealership. All these fronts permit a lot of hidden profits, cash dealing, spare time, a range of hiding places, and the facility to employ a couple of heavies or slags. These are hard men of little brain, but considerable strength, who also need an apparently legitimate employment to supplement their habitual profession as hired muscle. Rawlings, in fact, had a scrap metal dealership and car wrecking yard. It gave him access to a well-equipped machine workshop, metal of all kinds, electrical wiring, battery acid, and the two big thugs he employed, both in the yard and as backup should he ever run into any aggro from villains who might decide to make trouble for him. Showered and shaved, Rawlings stirred Demerara crystals into his second espresso of the morning and studied again the sketch drawings Billy Rice had left him. Billy was his apprentice, a smart 23-year-old who would one day become good, even very good. He was still starting out on the fringe of the underworld, and eager to do favours for a man of prestige, apart from the invaluable instructions he would get in the process. Twenty-four hours earlier, Billy had knocked at the door of the eighth-floor apartment of Fontenay House, dressed in the livery of an expensive flower shop and carrying a large bouquet of flowers. The props had got him effortlessly part the man in the lobby, where he also noted the exact layout of the entrance hall, the porter's lodge, and the way to the stairs. It was her ladyship who had answered the door personally, her face lighting up with surprise and pleasure at the sight of the flowers. They purported to come from a committee 
of the Distressed Veterans Benevolent Fund, of which Lady Fiona was one of the patronesses and whose gala ball she was due to attend was that very night. Rawlings figured that even if, at the ball itself, she mentioned the bouquet to any one of the committee members, he would simply assume it had been sent by another member on behalf of them all. At the door, she had examined the attached card, proclaimed, Oh, how perfectly lovely, in the bright, cut crystal accents of her class, and had taken the bouquet. Then, Billy had held out his receipt pad and ballpoint pen. Unable to manage all three items together, Lady Fiona had withdrawn, flustered into the sitting room, to put down the bouquet, leaving Billy unattended for several seconds in the small hallway. With his boyish looks, fluffy blonde hair, blue eyes and shy smile, Billy was a gift. He reckoned he could work his way past any middle-aged housewife in the metropolis, but his baby blue eyes missed very little, even before pressing the doorbell. He had spent a full minute scanning the outside of the door, its frame and surrounding wall area in the passage. He was looking for a small buzzer, no larger than a walnut, or a black button or a switch with which to turn the buzzer off. Only when he was satisfied there was none did he ring the bell. Left alone in the doorway, he did the same, searching the inner side of the frame and the walls for the buzzer or switch. Again, there was none. By the time the lady of the house returned to the hall to sign the receipt, Billy knew the door was secured by a shunt lock, which he had gratefully identified as a chub rather than a brahma, which is reputedly unpickable. Lady Fiona took the pad and pen and tried to sign for the flowers. No chance. The ballpoint pen had long had its cartridge removed and any remaining ink expended on a blank piece of paper. Billy apologised profusely. With a bright smile, Lady Fiona told him it was of no account. She was sure she had one in her bag and returned beyond the sitting-room door. Billy had already noted what he sought. The door was indeed linked to an alarm system. So, that is the opening of Frederick Forsyth's novel, The Fourth Protocol. Essentially, the reconnaissance of the flat you see broken into by a cat burglar in the beginning of the film, played wonderfully by Michael Caine. As I say, it's a really good book, one I would happily recommend to anybody along with The Dogs of War and The Day of the Jackal, or indeed whichever of his uh, books grabs your interest. I did enjoy The Cobra, although I feel he deals with the British establishment just ever so slightly better than he deals with the American establishment towards the end of his career. But that was my overview of Frederick Forsyth, a very, a very English author, a very British author. I hope you enjoy it. And if you've read him, if you like him, or if you don't like him, uh, do send me a message and tell me what you think. You can contact me at all the, the usual places that you may have heard me talk about, albinneverdies at gmail.com, or on Instagram at flemingneverdies. Or if you've got this from a Facebook group, just comment there. Thank you very much for listening, and again, thank you to whoever bought from my shop. I don't know who you are, but still thank you. It's just a couple of stickers, but it means a lot to me. And the newsletter I mentioned in a previous episode is now out, putting all my various appearances, whether it's on the Bond Experience, from Taylors with Love, or the Emerald Series podcast, uh, the podcast at work where I'm putting out the academic research we do. Uh, it's all in one place in the newsletter. It's not too late. If you'd like to receive it, just email me again at albionneverdies at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at Fleming Never Dies. However, you can best contact me. And I'll just send it along. 
to you. Very happy. Very happy indeed to share. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it.